With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, one of my colleagues over at The Athletic, Seth Partnow, is here. We're going to dive deep into the Rui Hachimura trade where he was sent to the Los Angeles Lakers for a couple of second round picks. And then we're going to jump into other players at the trade deadline that could maybe use a change of scenery here moving forward. Seth, what's going on, buddy? What's going, Sam? It's been, uh, it has been a while. Yeah, since you've been on this show, I feel like it's been a year. I think that we did what we redrafted a draft. It was the it actually might have been this show. Oh, was that, that when I, I got myself it. in trouble by by saying silly things about Daniel Gafford as uh, compared to Darius Garland? No one is reminding yeah. me of that. Don't worry. Yeah, I think that you did like a crazy thing, like take Daniel Gafford over Darius Garland. In to a be fair, was, uh, in the middle of Darius Garland's All Star season, by the way. It was like at the beginning of Darius. Yeah. And <laughs> Daniel Gafford, like, you know, being yanked around the Wizards rotation anyway. So which still is happening, by the way. Yes. Still happening. And speaking we, of the Washington Wizards, we, we might talk about him later, actually. Yeah, we really might. Uh, let's talk about the Washington Wizards and a deal that they made on. What was that? I guess it'd be Monday in the United States. They traded Rui Achimura, which is something that it feels like has been in the works now for a couple of couple of weeks, maybe Josh Robbins reported uh, along with Sham Sharania that, you know, it, it seems like there has been some sort of trade request, basically. And they moved quickly. The Los Angeles Lakers also moved quickly. They acquire Rui Achimura for three second round picks. One of those picks is a 2023 Chicago Bulls second that actually might end up in the top 40. Like that might end up being an OK pick. But the other ones are going to be a little bit more questionable in value because they're a little bit further out. So we don't really need to break that down. But getting one good second round pick, a couple other flyers, feels like pretty good business for Washington. Hachimura, though, obviously is the, you know, the standout guy here. He is an incredibly important player within, you know, Japanese basketball culture. There is an enormous media contingent, or at least I would imagine there still is, and certainly will be now that he plays for the Lakers, an enormous media contingent that follows him around. Uh, He's the first first round pick in the history of Japanese basketball, and he is someone that has, to this point, not really found his footing as a winning NBA player. Uh, There are moments where he scores at a high level. He averages 13 points per game through his three and a half years that he's played in the league. But a lot of those, a lot of those points kind of come off as empty calories. Do you kind of feel that way, Seth? Uh, short version. Yes. Um, yeah. He's improved mildly at it over his career, but he came into the league as a guy who didn't get to the line a lot, didn't shoot a lot of threes. Um, yeah. And, and it's just, a, it's a tough diet of, yeah. of, you know, attempts for a guy to become a, an efficient scorer. And 
if you're not going to be an efficient scorer and you're not going to be a volume scorer and you're not going to be a playmaker and you're not going to be a terribly good defender, uh, it's sort of what, what are you? So in his case, he's essentially a mid-range gunner. In half-court settings, he's taking 42% of his shots between 6 and 20 feet. Uh, for reference, Bradley Beal only takes 40% of his shots between that range. And Bradley Beal is like a noted mid-range specialist, right? Like, this is where Rui is. Like, that that's what his game is in the half-court. He can get out and transition and be kind of a freight train when he wants to use his physicality in that way, but... He's not quite as not quite as impactful in terms of being a mismatch threat as I thought he might be entering the league. But here's the other thing. He's gotten so good at mid-range jumpers that like there's real value in it. He's shooting 48.2% between that six and 20 feet range. That's like one of the best numbers in the NBA. And honestly, like I, I kind of just buy it. He looks super in rhythm when he takes those shots. He's very effective. Uh, you know taking a one dribble pull up off of, you know, attacking a closeout because he also has a really good pump fake uh, teams and defenders always fall for his pump fake in a way that is somewhat bizarre to me, but he's effective enough to where like you can make it work where that shot is sometimes the best option on the court, but not all the time. And we're going to get some of the other flaws. I'd imagine that you want to bring up the passing, right? So well, that and also as um, when you list the things that the Lakers need offensively, another guy who can get a decent mid-range look, what would not be high amongst them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's certainly <laughs> it's certainly useful and probably is a floor raiser for their offense. Um does make you wonder if they're either there's a mismatch between goals and actions or uh, goals have changed and nobody's told LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, so like, let, let's talk about the Lakers side of this, you know, and you, you know, we, I do want to bring up the passing here in a minute and we'll talk about that. But like the Lakers side of this is I really think they just desperately needed to rebalance their roster on some level, right? Like a lot of lineups that the Lakers are playing are three guard alignments where Patrick Beverly, Russell Westbrook, Dennis Schroeder, Austin Reeves, Lonnie Walker, these guys that are all, you know, six foot five or under, you know, Austin Reeves is the biggest of those guys. Most of them are, you know, six foot three and under and, you know, the case of three of those guys and playing three guard lineups like that is just really, really difficult defensively. Rui is not a great defender, but I think having his size and athleticism out there does just kind of rebalance the roster in a real way. On top of that, we can talk about Rui like in some of his flaws, and I'm sure we'll do that in a minute again, but like the level that he is replacing for the Lakers is very low. Like they are getting sub replacement level production from some of these forwards, like all due respect to Juan Toscano Anderson, who I think has done an incredible job of like building out a career for himself for the Golden State Warriors. And now for the Lakers, he is probably like a sub replacement level player at the end of the day within their rotation. And he's certainly not a guy that is going to provide much scoring threat. If you look at his usage, if you look at, you know, just pure field goal attempts, even 
Wendian Gabriel is another guy like this. Playing Troy Brown at the four, I think often also leads to its own flaws where Troy Brown is, you know, not the best rebounder at the four position. So this team has really, really struggled on the glass this season. So Rui's going to help a lot of things, if only because the level that the Lakers are getting from other guys is just not that high at the end of the day. I agree with all that, and I still am left <laughs> scratching. No, I, I and I'm still yeah, left scratching yeah. my head about this deal a, a little bit or a lot. I mean, first of all, um, I, the, while he helps, is that the best you could do? Is that the best yeah. you could do using up these? Aren't you mentioned these aren't necessarily great assets, but they're the kinds of things you you they're they're chips and they cashed in right. probably. I would, uh, you know, I, 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 I think I estimated yesterday that I would. They think this is about a, an overpay by about one and a quarter seconds. Like, um, it, it, so Espe- there's especially that. given that that Bulls pick is potentially a top forty yeah. second round pick. Yeah. Like, if you're giving up that pick, I probably would have thought just yeah. one more pick would have got it done. And by the way, there was a report that said that uh, the price for the Wizards was two second round picks theoretically, and then the Lakers, you know, to get it done today essentially and, probably and that gets to me and that gets to my is is um the, the other issue with it from the Lakers standpoint is they just used a big chunk of their of their yes. matching salary so it's not just it's it's in and of itself like this is a kind of deal I feel differently about it if it happens at noon on what is it, the ninth than I do yeah. if it happens at noon on January 23rd because you've explored all of the all, all the other options, you're not you know you're not passing anything up. Was there a better deal out there? Was it worth an extra second rounder to do this now and foreclose any other moves? When, as we've said, fine, he helps by being a competent eighth man level type player on a on a on a on a good team. I think yeah. that's fair. Yeah, um, ben, I think he's a rotational wing. Yeah, yeah. but. I just like why is is does he win you that does having him for for an extra two weeks win you enough games to push it over the top of something that that is worth foreclosing the the optionality of of doing better aiming higher yeah yeah like I would also feel differently I would think this is just like a straight up like totally fine deal if it was someone like the Suns doing this where they don't have limited assets like part of this also is that the lakers have a very limited asset chest to play with like there are only so many pieces that they can move in a deal right like they only have the two second or two first round picks they can move and now they only have i believe four second round picks left that they can move uh that's just not a lot of wiggle room to play with when Rui Hachimura, like if you're trying to make the playoffs this year, he can't be the last move that you make. Like you still need to do something else. So th- that's where opportunity yeah. cost in what you're saying really comes into play, I think. I think he can be the last move. He can't be the first move. Like if I, I you know, he would not be my pick if I would, if I just from a positional standpoint, he's more of a four. <laughs> So he wouldn't be yeah. an ideal pickup, but that level of player, if the Bucks made a move using some of their limited assets to pick up that kind of guy that they yeah. thought could help them in the playoffs to finish the team off, that's fine. Yeah, like that's that's sort of how what you what you should be doing. 
if you're a team that's already at that level. I mean, do the Lakers think they're at that level when they're healthy? I don't think so. I, look, I certainly think the front office doesn't think so. Like uh, maybe the players do, but I, I think that we have you know enough evidence at this point that the front office seems very wary of using their future capital in order to help this team win games, despite my best protestations saying that I think they should do it. Um, because I think anytime you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, you should be trying to kick all in, if only because down the road, you can just trade Anthony Davis and get back a bunch of your pick capital anyway. So I think that the other part of this, and ultimately why I'm okay with it, because I agree with everything you're saying in terms of opportunity costs. My problem is I struggled to find anyone else that provides that size on the wing that I think could actually end up going for a price tag that works for the Lakers. Like PJ Washington's another player that's you know potentially available in a similar situation to Rui was in that same 2019 draft class did not sign an extension potentially maybe could be had at the deadline I think that he probably gets a first round pick from someone right yeah that's fair I think I mean I think he's been a better NBA player to to this point in his career than totally than than than, and there's a reason for that um yeah Jalen McDaniels is another name I came up with. I think honestly he'd be better than Rui for this Lakers team, but I don't know. Like, does does he only get three seconds? Maybe he's an unrestricted free agent. Like, that's one that like that's that's the only one that I came up with. Really, that's that's actually a low key. Another thing is is because he's part of the reason Washington's willing to do this is they you know I think they've reached the end of the line. He's got to be a restricted free agent. They probably don't want to be in a situation where they even offer the qualifying offer. He's like, yeah, sure, um, because I yeah, don't... it's eight eight point five yeah. million dollar. Yeah, I mean, is he is he a is he a a, a non tax? Is he a full mid level player? I don't I don't think so. So he can't. You offer him the qualifying offer, he, he might just snap it up. So Washington didn't really want that. Now the but the Lakers have made a bet that it's now hard for them to win like longer than, than, yeah. you know, the, the rental of this year, because either they gave up three second round picks for a guy who they don't need around anymore, or they gave up three second round picks for the right to pay him. And perhaps cause LA overpay him in, in, you know, in, in five months time. Well, and on top of it too, I think that, I think he is the kind of player that tends to get more money in free agency Buckets. than, impacts the game on top of it. And I mean this like in no way disparagingly in a way, like, you know, people take this the wrong way sometimes, but like he's a genuinely relevant player in Japan and that market is like craving a basketball star. And again, there are real benefits to a team signing Rui financially. Like it it is, it is impactful to your bottom line. If you sign him to a multi-year contract, you're going to make money off of this. You're the so, Lakers and you have LeBron James. No, I know. That's my point, though. You don't need to do this. Yeah. Other teams, but when he hits restricted free agency, other teams, I can see a world saying like, hey, this is a guy that we think still has some upside. Worst case scenario is we make money, you know, off of jersey sales, off of X, Y, and Z, right? So there are a lot of factors here to really consider. At the end of the day, the reason that I like this for the Lakers enough to pull the trigger is that I couldn't come up with 
another option that was this cheap other than Jalen McDaniels, who may or may not be available, right? Like the Lakers almost certainly did their due diligence on finding out what Jalen McDaniels price tag is, found that it does not quite compute with what they're looking for and moved on to other players. You would think at least, right? So it's, it's hard for me to find that replacement level player. Doug McDermott doesn't really fit like this $5 million chunk of salary that they can use, like and still maintain Patrick Beverly's deal, still maintain Russell Westbrook's deal that gives them further flexibility out at the deadline. I'm good with this deal for the Lakers. I don't think it really swings anything for them outside of just raising their floor a little bit when LeBron is off the court. And I think that, uh, that, I don't disagree with with you know the the market aspect of it. The question is is if this is the best you can do, is it worth doing? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's yeah. that's you know, and I like and I you know there's obviously there's the considerations like LeBron said make a move and that's that's in terms of realities you understand how that can put the thumb on the scale and make the thing happen. But that's that's sort of an explanation, not a good reason from from yeah. my perspective. So I don't like on like it's hard to hate on it too much because ultimately as you said it's it's a decent second rounder for a team that doesn't want to play second rounders and some future stuff yeah. that doesn't matter to anyone involved on their relevant timeline <laughs> um so you know it's it's uh um so you know keeping in perspective there's only so the degree to which you can hate the deal is only only so much and it's more sort of a distaste for what it signifies about what they're thinking or, or what, what they're attempting to do yeah. than the deal itself is sort of, it's sort of, it's settling for not much at a slightly inflated play price. And it's just like, that's when you're starting a team with LeBron James, that's just, you just don't like being, you don't like getting in that. Yeah. In that next. spot. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, my it's, la- it, it, my, I guess my distaste for it is is as much a commentary on their last kind of three windows, yeah, that put them in a situation as much as this particular move. Yeah, my last question for you is: Where did you you were in the Bucks front office when Rui was in the draft? If I remember correctly, right? I that was the first draft that I was there, and he was yeah. No, no, wait, wait a minute. No, that was. A, I think was, you were there because that was the Grant Williams draft, and you really like Grant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was. Sorry, he. I think he the dec- first draft I was there. He declared and then went back and ended up being went back to school for like two more years. If I if I remember correctly, what, I he went back for one more year. He declared as a sophomore, I believe. Went back to school, and then the junior year was the breakout All American year, where he then just like skyrocketed. That's right. That's right. Um. Did you like him pre-draft? He seems like the kind of guy that you would have lower than. Yeah, not not right? not really. I just like it. it yeah. It's it's. I mean, the he the way he profiled as a college prospect is kind of what he's turned into in the NBA. And there are guys of that profile who become good NBA players. Um, you know, I think I, I might. It, it's probably harsh to make the comparison, but there was some part of the reason why I didn't love Keegan Murray in the draft is there was some of the same thing, but obviously Keegan Murray is a better shooter, uh, better defender, better everything, basically. And so he's a guy who's of this profile who's done the things that have to be done, whereas, you know, Rui came in, and like I said, he didn't shoot threes, didn't draw fouls, didn't get to the rim very much. Didn't pass. Didn't pass. It's like, 
that's a very like that's a very like early nineties power forward profile. It, it's it's a hard needle to thread. Like yeah. he basically had to be a primary scoring option to thread that needle. Yeah. And yeah. I thought there was some upside there, like physically. I mean, he's six eight, two hundred and thirty pounds. Like when he wants to play physically, he is strong as hell. And he has enormous hands, like a seven foot two wings. Like you you can like if you were building like a six foot eight basketball player in a laboratory, like this is what it would look like. It would look like Rui Achimura. And it just hasn't quite managed yet. And like I wonder if some of the passing stuff, for instance, so like, you know, I, I wrote this in the story I wrote, but like he averages like two potential assists per 24 minutes played that's like in the bottom 20 percent of all uh forwards in so the he, NBA, uh, essentially he i on my playmaking usage he's at 3.6 which is among the low lower in the league certainly for yeah. forwards uh that puts him just behind dwight powell and montrez harrell yeah as, right as so <laughs> that's that's who he is and it becomes tricky i think to try and find Find exactly, you know, what's going to happen when like LeBron kicks out the ball to him and he pump fakes into like a one dribble pull up like 18 footer. And like LeBron looks at him, he's just like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, this is not efficient offense. This is not the way that like things work. But, you know, he can get the shot. That matters. He does score like he's relevant as a scorer. Um yeah, I don't know. I actually had him a little bit lower on my board as well. And this comes from someone who I went up to Gonzaga to interview him like before the season. I like he's one of my favorite people I've ever talked to in my life uh, on a basketball in basketball. I just wonder if some of his flaws kind of permeate his game because he came to basketball later. Like he came to basketball at like 12 years old um, after like growing up playing baseball in Japan and everything. And I just wonder if like, he is missing that, you know, essential youth time kind of thing. You know that, what I mean? A little bit of feel, a little bit of ball handling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That like, you know, you get when you just kind of le- like play at five years old, four years old, whatever. Like you just get more comfortable doing it. Uh, okay, let's say, do you have one more thing? No, no, I think, no, I think, yeah. I think we covered, we covered Rui. Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll be back. We're going to talk about some change of scenery, guys, at the NBA trade deadline. Okay, we're back. Seth, I came to you with this idea of just breaking down guys that, like, we just want to see in a new place. Right. We just kind of want to see them uh, in a new environment at the end of February. I believe it's February 7th, if I remember correctly, in terms of the exact date, maybe February 8th. Uh, we just want to see these guys in a new home. Like, I, I'm sad watching John Collins play basketball right now, Seth. I, I need to see him play some anywhere else, anywhere else, almost on planet Earth. I would be happy to see John Collins at this point. Uh do you like John Collins as a player? Uh, I, I'm a pretty big fan for the most I've, part. I, I, on, on, on my podcast, it's sort of a running joke that I've tried to trade John Collins to half the league. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's a lot. Like, I think there's a lot more to, to John Collins than, than, and it's they've that the Atlanta has like gone out of their way 
almost to use less and less of the things he can do, the offensive versatility, and turn him yeah. into sort of just a stand in the corner or just a pick and pop guy. Like, you know, he can play on the move. He can put the ball on the floor. He's not a, I wouldn't say he's a high level passer, but he's a guy who can make plays with the ball in his hands. He's certainly, he's a good finisher. He's a, he's a, he is a, a pick and roll player who is probably among the more versatile in the league in terms of the ability to either dive or pop. Yeah. Um, like yeah. these are, these are things that can, that can, that can help an offense um, at a high level. And I think he's, and frankly, I think he's improved defensively over over the course Much. of his career a little too. And, I'm and so glad you said that. And he he, you know, it was two years ago, but he also showed like he was willing to be like a garbage man if if the team needed that in the playoffs. So you put all that together, and you think about where the cap is going. And I don't, yeah, I don't think he's even. I don't think his contract is even especially onerous. I think in a situation where he is allowed to, you know do more than be a than, than you know be a a, a floor spacer you, you get that kind of value from him i think you're 100 percent right i love the role versatility the one thing he can't really do is short roll like he's not really a great short roll to play make guy right he doesn't really recognize that like four on three advantage that so many you know rollers have gotten really really good at but he doesn't get any reps at it yeah he doesn't have any reps <laughs> at it additionally He's so good as a vertical lob threat and he is actually like a genuine pick and pop threat. Like he has made up until this season where the shooting has fallen off a cliff for reasons, you know, who knows, maybe it is just like a change of scenery kind of thing. He's made like 38% of his threes on four attempts per game, which for a big is not bad volume. Whenever a lot of those shots are coming in pick and pop kind of scenarios. Uh, So I do think there's real role versatility there. I do think that there is, a lot of latent defensive ability. Like it used to be that he was too slow to guard fours, not big enough to protect the rim at the five. He's gotten in way better shape. He is really, really smart. He actually defends fours now. Well, he is a good defender at the power forward position, like not on the level of a Jaron Jackson, not even like on the level of an above average defender necessarily. I would say he is a solid defender that you can, actually trust to have out there in lineups that matter in the playoffs. And I'm so glad you brought up like the garbage time stuff. It seems like he just wants to win. Like everything, everything I've seen from John Collins says that he is the exact kind of guy that I think has just been kind of misutilized, you know, due to roster construction, like Clint Capella needs to be out there for the Hawks defensively. And you have to use him as the guy in ball screens because he's unusable really in any other circumstance offensively. I really think that if you get John Collins, like if you put him in Indiana and you re-signed Miles Turner, that sounds like an awesome front court combination for Tyrese Halliburton to me. Uh, if you put him in Oklahoma City and you put him next to Chet Holmgren, that sounds like a really fun front court combination to me. Guys that can stretch the floor, can play with the ball just a little bit because Miles has improved a little bit, and then also protect the rim. Man, I think he could really, really, really get excellent again if he plays in that kind of scenario i mean we can just start naming off teams you'd say utah you can say there's there's no mechanical way to make it happen but golden state you can like just you know the the places where that just works uh are are many miami like him and bam is an interesting front court bearing um so yes i i agree with all that um and 
Um, and that's kind of like there's a reason why he's sort of been on the block for basically two two solid seasons is I think everyone recognizes this. Yeah, but it's weird that they haven't found a home for me. Like it feels like it feels like they might be overpricing it, but like I don't know. Sam Amick just wrote that like the price isn't that extravagant. Uh he wrote that in the big Hawks uh, you know, breakdown about their front office and the turnover that that has had in recent months. Uh, so like the price tag apparently is not even that crazy. And then on top of it, I, I don't know. Like, I feel, I feel like may, maybe he is a guy that like teams don't totally trust in the playoffs. I don't know though. Like I'm pretty good with it. I mean, it's, it seems like he, he, he it's almost like the reputation of his contract rather than the contract itself. Oh, he's got a big yeah. deal. It's like, Hey, 25 million is it's not onerous. It's what those guys cost. It's, yeah, it's not onerous as, as for like a, a good starter. Yeah, it's the same with like uh Julius Randle. Like people were talking about Julius Randle's contract being an overpay like uh being terrible. I'd rather have John Collins. I think I'd rather have Randle, but I understand your point and I think there's like a reasonable like case for it. Um who's a guy that you look at on the deadline uh you know potentially market let's say that you think could use a change of scenery oh the one i mean i think we we put our heads together and one guy we came up with is patrick williams um it's just it's not it's not happening and it's not again like it's almost like the mini version and not in the same way because it's not like one guy uh, monopolizing the ball in chicago as there is in atlanta but well, so it's a lot of guys monop- monopolizing the mid-range area, yeah. which is where I think he does his best work, like in that mid-post kind yeah. of like area, and hasn't and that has never really gotten a chance to expand it because he it, it seems like he has got some like nascent put the ball on the floor skills, and it just yeah. it just you know there isn't room for him to be in those situations. When you've got you know DeRozan and Levine doing their thing and Vooch either posting up or or popping or playing at the elbow, I mean that's just right. He he gets shunted to sort of the sidelines in the corners. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he does, Uh, and it's weird too. Like you look at the shooting numbers this year, you know, forty six percent from the field, forty two percent from three, eighty eight percent from the line. Uh, You look at the shooting numbers over his career. I mean, look, he takes two and a half threes a game over his career. And has only taken 330 of them, but he's made 41% of them. Like there's a non-zero chance that there is like genuine shooting upside with Patrick Williams. And by the way, he is still incredibly young. Like he is 21 and a half years old. Like there are guys in this upcoming draft class, like Chris Murray, for instance. Uh, Chris Murray is older than Patrick Williams. Uh, Like... There is still so much time, I think, for Pat Williams to figure it out. And we've seen some offensive real like skills. Like I actually like his offensive game a little bit more than Rui's because I think that he shoots it a little bit better from three. I actually kind of trust his functional strength and like willingness to like use his like shoulders to like kind of bury someone a little bit more than Rui does. I, I would love to see. I guess I would say this. I would like to see him either be utilized that way in Chicago or I would like to see him like go somewhere else. Like I I think there's real upside and I would like to see him get a chance to showcase that upside. 
I, I agree. I agree with that. You just, you start to think about where that, that opportunity to showcase is. And then you start to be like, Ooh, cause it's like, is it Houston, Charlotte? Where else are we talking about it? It's like, those don't seem ideal, <laughs> like development environments. Yeah. So wondering, you know, wondering where the spot is. Yeah. Like San Antonio is one that like, I'd be really interested to see him there. Uh, the, the problem is trying to find an exact, trying to find an exact thing that works for them is a little bit tricky. Uh, Orlando, I think, is a no. Washington, I think, is a no. They have enough of these guys. Charlotte is actually one that kind of stood out to me. But again, if you're moving Patrick Williams, what are you trying to get back? Are you trying to get back winning pieces now to play with Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan? Are you re-signing Nikola Vucevic? Are you – like, what? what is – that's kind of what I'm struggling with, I guess. Like what, what would be their plan? I think they need to like decide on a plan first. That's, that's been my thing with the bulls all year. I mean, I think that, I mean, honestly that I was, I, th- I think, I don't remember if you were, but I think I, I was definitely advocating for them to move him last year because that was like the best their team was likely to be in, in sort of this iteration. And yeah, they got hurt and, and, but they, they could have used a little more depth last year and he was the piece they had that and it's 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 you know the because a year more of kind of minimal development and a year closer to the end of the rookie deal, you just get less for him. And so you do mm-hmm. you do wonder like I don't think he's at the stage where where you might be with Rui, where it's just like you know we're we're done here. Definitely not. No, no, no chance. Like I think that I think they would get like a pretty solid first rounder for him if they moved him. Not like a. I don't know if they'd get like a top 10 potential first rounder, but I think like, you know, 15 to 22. Yeah. yeah, Like I think they would pretty easily get that. But again, like, I don't know if they, I don't know if they should move him. I just want to see him. I want to see him in a change of scenery that could involve the bulls. Like changing the scenery could involve them making other moves, but I want to see him in a different place. I agree with you. Uh, Another guy in the 2020 draft class that I would like to see in a different spot is Obi Toppin. Uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention to Knicks games all that much, but the Knicks like have openings in their rotation right now. They have openings for him to play minutes. And for whatever reason, Tibbs is just like hard pass on Obi Toppin 25 minutes a night. It feels like, and it's frustrating. Like I, I think that when he's out there, he's actually super aggressive. He drives transition play at a reasonable level. Uh, he attacks in like a real functional way. He's an offensive player that really, really helps. Uh, like he can actually shoot a little bit now. It feels like obviously he's that incredible vertical threat. And when they play him, they play him in the corner a lot of the time, like Atlanta does with John Collins. And this could be a recurring theme that these guys might be a little bit harder to build around than what, we're acknowledging. Um, but I, I feel like there's more here. I feel like a team that was more willing to creatively use Obi Toppin could actually really make him a really, really interesting player. A guy whose best skills are motor and movement playing in one of the more static systems. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's such a good call. Thinking. Yeah. It's such a good call. Like you, you look at his minutes over since he got back. I mean, 
eight minutes or eight games. He's playing 11 minutes a night. And again, there are real openings in their rotation. Yeah. Like it's, it's hard. Like it's not hard to get him moving. It's not hard to like run him in ball screens, run him in slip actions, run him in like ghost screens, run him in, uh, let him run, let him run. (laughs) Just go get out and go. Obi. I'd love to see him in an up-tempo scheme. I'd love to see him somewhere where he's just going to get like real opportunities to just kind of rock. I mean, it, it feels like the Knicks drafted him without a plan on how to use him to his best potential. It's not the first time, but yeah, I think that's, that, I think that's right. Um, but it, and it's not hard to find, you know, teams that, that would be really interesting fits for him. Again, another guy who would be an interesting Warriors player. I think he, the, yeah. the, 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 the Suns, the, the, you know, there are, there are teams, 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 especially that are playing kind of, um, a want to play a smaller, more mobile four. Yeah. Like he, like, because he brings, you know, that, that vertical pop off good offensive rebounding shoots it well enough from the corners. Yeah. You'd, you'd like him to be a better above the break shooter, but like, again, you put him in a situation where he can work the baseline, you know, for those threes, for those cuts, for those offensive rebounds and just play it. And again, just be moving all the time. Make someone yeah. have to keep up with him. I mean, it's a you know n- probably more offensively talented, not as good a defensive player as, but a similar kind of spot to where someone like Jared Vanderbilt would mm. would, would thrive. I mean, not the same skill set, but the same no. spots on the floor. I think would be would would uh, would would be useful for him. Yeah, like the team again. Like if the Pacers didn't want to pay for John Collins. Put him next to Miles Turner and put him in that offense where there's so much ball movement, so much movement in general. He would, I think he'd really thrive there. Like, I I think he would put up like numbers in that offense. And oh, by the way, if the Pacers like really liked him and really didn't value the 20 to 40 range in this upcoming draft class, kind of like I don't really value the 20, 20 to 40 range in this upcoming draft class, they have a couple of those picks. They could move what I believe is, I believe they have the, uh, do they have the Bucks pick? This might be something you can answer. Why do I think they have the Bucks pick? No, Houston has the Bucks yeah. pick. They yeah. have the Celtics pick at number 30, uh, or they have Cleveland's pick at number 24 right now. Shout out Tankathon for helping me out while I was looking at that. Um, I don't know. One of those two picks for Obi Toppin is like kind of interesting to me. There might be, I mean, there's the possible interesting trade there anyway, just like the Pacers are, are the team where you say you can't, you can never have too many wings. The Pacers might have too many wings. Like there's, <laughs> um, I mean, healed is the obvious one, but you know, but you know, they, they, you figure that uh, in terms of guards and wings, all right, you know, Halliburton's the one, Nemhard and Matherin look like guys they really want to go forward with that still leaves you with, you know, uh, Chris Duarte or Shea Brissett. Uh, I think Aaron Neesmith has shown a fair amount over the last, you know, month plus. Um, yeah, I I think, um, and so that's just, you know, none of those are, none of those are, are star players, but um, they're, they're useful players at a position. Everyone is always looking for more help. Yeah, and, and like Chris Duarte, I wonder if there is just like a Chris Duarte for Obi Toppin swap there. Like Duarte is for, you know, due to you know, he's struggling to stay healthy, it feels like in his NBA career as much as anything. But a guy that is a willing defender, can handle the ball a little bit, 
a guy that was a knockdown shooter in college and just thus far in his uh, NBA career, especially this year, only made he's only making 30% from three right now. Uh, made 37% from three last year, though. Averaged 13 points and four rebounds and two assists per game. If they think that like maybe he's just like kind of fallen behind some other guys in the rotation, I wonder if there's like a challenge trade there. Just Crystal Arte for Obi Toppin, and I wonder if like that's interesting. It's not even really a challenge well. trade. It's, it's it's just it's a rebalancing trade. It's it's yeah like, for both teams. Yeah, it's like all right, well this guy is blocked on our team. That guy's blocked on your team. And, yeah, may, maybe the Knicks add like a second rounder because Duarte has the extra year of team control on his contract. I don't know. Like there, there's something there. I'm kind of interested in that one where that would actually help. I think both guys a little bit in terms of change of scenery that could be useful. Or maybe the Knicks take Jalen Smith or something like that. Cause they need, they need, they probably need help with the injuries they have. They probably need, need some big help now, but now we're just, yeah. now we're going, we're, we're trade machining a little too far and going. We're trade machining a little too yeah. far, but I think that, I think that, Something like that could really, really help. And I think that I'm at the point where I'm just kind of done with the Obi Top in, in New York experiment. It just seems like this coaching staff is not going to utilize him to his fullest potential. The other guy that I think fits this, by the way, is Isaiah Hartenstein. Uh, that was an offseason signing. You watched him last year with the Clippers, and he would get the ball kind of at the top of the key or at the elbow, and they'd let him play make a little bit and utilize his passing ability and short roll ability, and there's just none of that in New York. This is, again, just like a pure, this signing did not work. There are places where he will work. We've seen it with Los Angeles last year. I wonder if the Clippers would just, like, come calling <laughs> and say, hey, we'll give you, you know, a second or something like that, plus whatever salary filler they have, and just go. Or or maybe the Kings is sort of like, okay, if, if Sabonis has to oh, sit. Wow. Here's the here's the here's the light version of 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 Domas. Um, I like that a lot, actually. That's actually that's awesome. That's really really good. That's a really good spot. Also, Obi Toppin with the Kings would be really good too. Just as a like go sprint, do stuff kind of guy, given how fast they play. But yeah, I wonder if there's a Kings Knicks move that could happen there because Hart- Hartenstein, it just seems like is not going to work because they're not going to utilize his actual skill set at this point. And I, it is concerning. Like he, he was a very good rim protector in LA, and he has been not that in New York. And so that's a that is a worry because if he's you know if he is a a, a good passing bad defensive backup center, that makes him almost like the lesserest Plumley. And <laughs> yeah, uh, I think he has a little bit more than like Marshall at least. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, no, but like, you know, Mason Plumlee is a guy that I've been advocating for a few teams to trade for because I think he'd be like a really helpful 18 minute a game center for some teams in the regular season and then maybe like a nine minute change of pace in the playoffs. But like, you know, Hartenstein does some similar things there. I You're think touching on the valuable. saddest trombone trade, by the way. Yeah, I know. We're, is, we're at the point where we're just getting sad now. No, no, no. The, um, the, no, it's it's it, James Wiseman for for Mason Plumley is the is the sad trombone trade. Seth, I've been advocating on this podcast for that for a little while now. <laughs> like, it it makes a lot of sense. Like, if you're going to move Wiseman before next year because you think that it, the real reason that it makes sense is because the Warriors, if they move Wiseman's deal, uh before the salary or before the luxury tax kicks in next year, 
their tax number is basically what it's going to be this year, even after keep if they keep Draymond Green after the Jordan Poole extension, after the Andrew Wiggins extensions, like they can keep their salary books like pretty similar by moving James Wiseman. And if you're going to move him, I'd probably move him this year so that I can get the value that could potentially help me win another title. But I'm not sure that they uh, I'm not sure that the front office with Golden State agrees with me. I, I, I do, the, the politics of the situation might outweigh the basketball of the situation. Um, and it, it has been thus basically for the last two years with respect to, to Wiseman, I think. Yeah. Uh, okay. Where do you want to go next? I, I want to see Eric Gordon just in a different place. Cause I feel like we're at that point where it would make sense. This is the uh, when we were when you were chatting about this uh, before we before, uh, yesterday when we were we were we were setting this up uh, we were I think we were discussing a little bit like which player has the most I don't want to be here vibes and it was a, yeah. it's on the short list between him and OG Ananobi and, and Zach Levine and and it's just he's been he's been there kind of marooned for 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 so long and he hasn't even got like the uh, Oh, Al Horford, you can you can you can go chill at home. He hasn't even got that that going for him, so he's just kind of there. And yeah, sad. I'm not even sure. Like, I don't think OG has those vibes necessarily. I think OG is just kind of a low key dude. Uh, I don't really like it. Everything about the OG situation to me feels like other teams trying to pry him, as opposed to the Raptors. Like, I think the Raptors are happy to listen because he's an incredibly valuable player, but like. I don't think they're sitting there like, oh my God, we, you know, th- this is our time to cash in. Uh, if someone presents them with an offer, I think they would. But yeah. Do we think that they're at the point where, like, okay, this, this, uh, Project 6 9 or whatever is, is maybe this was, this was the wrong alley to go down? Maybe. Uh, it's hard because, like, Oklahoma City is doing a very similar thing right now. They're just, valuing offensive skills and feel differently than Toronto is. And I think it's working better for Oklahoma city than it is for Toronto right now. And I think that's the key. Like you need guys that can shoot and have really good feel and can like play it. it, The the Raptors have feels like haven't really valued those things as much as Oklahoma city. And I think those skills are essential when you're talking about building a project like this. So I don't think it's a wash. I, I just think that like they need to do a better job valuing those things. Well, OKC also has just, you know, by virtue of where they are from both a salary cap and like draft capital standpoint, they have vastly more flexibility to remake and 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 fill in the team around them where, you know, the, the Raptors are still sort of in the championship hangover. Yeah. You know, very locked in from a from a cap perspective type team where they to add they've got to subtract yeah and and so that's that so that almost necessitates you know starting to to change those pieces and that you know that's why we could see gary trent getting moved fred van vliet his name has come up some um i think siakam has interested people i'm not sure that that he's actually available yeah he shouldn't be available I'll say this, like, I'm still really interested in Malachi Flynn. Like, I want to see him in an offense that, like, actually runs a lot of ball screens and, like, utilizes his skill set to its best degree. And Toronto just 
hasn't really done that at this point. Like Malachi is an operator in ball screens. He's really, really sharp. I think at finding open teammates at getting his own bucket. Like he has a really creative handle in those situations. Yeah. He's small, but he fights defensively. Like, look, he's, he's limited in some respect. Right. But I don't know. Like if I was a team that ran like a ball screen, heavy offense and needed a backup point guard, I, I would very much try that with him. I think. I would just be worried that for that, why is it that a team that has just been dying, crying out for guard play for minutes from, from ball handlers that he hasn't really been able to consistently, you know, some of his injuries has been some of that for sure, but how come he hasn't been able to to seize that? Oh, I, th- I think it's scheme to be honest, as much as anything. Um, like I just don't think the scheme fits him. Yeah, but, no, there, there, there might be, you know. there might, there might be, but I'm, I'm, you know, what what is Nick Nurse seeing in practice every day that uh, yeah. that, that you know he knows this play he knows him better than any like I think there's a little bit of uh, like you know if he was obviously blocked because they were yeah. you know they had a, they had you know a combo guard that was playing you know with Trent and Van Vliet and that was those were soaking uh, soaking up all the minutes I think it's a different situation than it's just like yeah. well there's the there's a wide open lane for more for minutes and it's just not going to him. Yeah. Honestly, like we talked, you know, we're talking about the Raptors, like maybe it is time for Fred Van Vliet to go somewhere else. Like maybe, maybe that is an interesting idea. Uh, You know, Gary Trent, like Gary Trent just seems like he is who he is, but like Fred Van Vliet is clearly not playing super well right now. And I wonder why that is. I mean, you do have to worry about sort of tread on the tire there. Totally. In, in part because, you know, so, I, you know. It, well, Nick Nurse just runs yeah. these dudes into the ground. Yeah. But if Nick Nurse trusted it. Malachi Flynn more than, you know, the, then, yeah. you know, it's it's sort of all of a piece there. And maybe maybe it's just Nick Nurse's, you know, Tibbs North. Is, as a, in, 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 Hot take? Yeah. I don't think he's done a great job this year. I don't. I, I think I don't that. Like particularly hot take, to be honest. Yeah. I don't think Nick Nurse has done a great job. We started this on Eric Gordon. What do you think Eric Gordon actually is at this point? Because it feels like a long time no since idea. we've seen him in a competitive environment. I have no idea. Like the reason why he he was intriguing is that for a not very tall guy, he had the 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 bulk and wingspan to play up. Can he yep. still do that? I don't know. Can he like can he still shoot? Can he still shoot with deep range? Can he still shoot with deep range? well enough that a a team that would be interested in trading for him could actually get use from it um like is he does he is he an improvement on okay pat Connaughton hasn't played great for the bulls for the bucks this year assuming yeah. he, he rounds sort of back into form a little bit how much of an upgrade is eric gordon on pat Connaughton? i i think he probably is an upgrade if only because of the ability to like put the ball on the floor at a higher level and like that just can kind of bend defenses and warp defenses. And if the bucks can do that more often, I think that it only helps them with guys like Giannis and uh, Chris Middleton, just trying to find little creases as a driver. But like at the same, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I, I don't is, know. Is it enough know. to, is it enough? Yeah. To, you know, if you think about just from switching around to think about from the Bucks standpoint um, yeah. for, for any, for them to make any real upgrades, probably cost them Marjan Bochamp. 
Yeah. Like, like to me, the team that makes sense is like Phoenix. Like, go get, do Dario Saric and Jay Crowder for Eric Gordon and then add a third team in between Houston and Phoenix to find a third landing spot for Jay Crowder, potentially Milwaukee. <laughs> that could make sense. I mean, uh, I feel like it's Crowder, own, right? Crowder right. is almost the, the, is almost like the, the, the bigger version of Eric. Gordon. Totally. And you know, yep. Gordon, Gordon's was cause he could play up. I like, can, can Jay Crowder guard threes anymore? Or I don't know. He, or is he just an undersized four now? And yeah. you know that, and that's sort of what worry would worry me about him for for the Bucks is they don't need minutes at the four. They need yeah. guys who can guard you know big wings. How do you feel about Jay Crowder guarding Jason Tatum? Not great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't feel great about anyone guarding Jason right. Tatum at this point, but like you know, obviously on the margins is what you're trying to like find yeah. answers for uh, eating up minutes. But yeah, I don't know. That's a tricky one. Uh, do you have anyone else that you want to talk about, Seth? Um, you know, we we mentioned a bunch of guys when we were we were talking about this, and they and so many of them have slipped my mind. I mean, we we touched on we 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 know, we mentioned Daniel Gafford as just a, a you know your king, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I think Kyle Kuzma. I, I don't know if he needs a new home, but I think he's I think he's probably the biggest swing piece. Yeah, this year I'll say this. I think that the fact that they moved Rui says to me that they might feel good about re-signing him right now, uh, which... Has anyone asked him how he feels about that? <laughs> yeah, you know, I would imagine that they have those conversations yeah, at the very least, but yeah. Uh, look, I agree with you. I think he is an incredibly large swing piece that could really help a lot of teams, but um, yeah, I don't know if he's actually going to move or not. It feels like the Wizards never move the guys that we feel like they should move when they're on expiring deals. So I, I don't know if we should feel confident in that. Another guy that we talked about was Jackson Hayes. Um, just feels totally blocked right now in New Orleans. And guy with athleticism, guy that can rim run, you know, started for a playoff team last year with the Pelicans. So they figured out how to utilize them. And I think a couple other teams could probably do so too. I think we, uh, the, the, I think we didn't leave ourselves enough time. Uh, but the guy who could use, who, who, uh, for many reasons, could possibly use a change of address to DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, I mean, it feels like feels like his defense has been just much less impactful this season than what it's been the last couple of years. And I don't know, you know, the offense has been fine. Like he's been able to like take up some of the possessions that they need him to take up. I guess. Yeah, the I mean the the fake trade that got floated to me for that is like uh, Nurkic and Hart and maybe some draft yeah. stuff for Aiden. I think that's a now with Portland kind of fading a little bit. Yeah, like is, is that is it worth doing that or is that the kind of thing you need to do to kind of pull yourself out of the tailspin? Um, yeah, but yeah, that's I mean that's in terms of like high level players who who you know, probably would like to see somewhere else. I think that, that, you know, between him and Collins and Kuzma um, are probably the, probably the, the, the main ones. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think any of them are like maybe Collins. It, it seems like it might happen, but we've, again, that's been two and a half years where yeah, like basically from, I mean, it was, it was even like mid season, the year they made the year they made the conference finals, even that he's been on the block since then. Yeah, it's really crazy. Seth, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people about uh, what Dunked on Prime, about The Athletic, about 
everything you've got going on. So, uh, well, first of all, Sam's coming on my podcast. Uh, it'll get released tomorrow uh, on, on, on uh, Colin. Um, read me on the athletic. We just published the, uh, the two of us and uh, Daniel LaRue published the trade deadline big board. Uh, I'm doing some uh, playback uh, live watch alongs with uh, Mo Dekiel over over with the folks at Playback. We did uh, Kings Drays last night. It was a lot of fun. Think we're doing Bucks Nuggets tomorrow night. We'll see. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, I'm uh, dunked on Prime. Doing providing some stats to Nate and the crew and doing uh, what we're calling the Nerd Nosh, just uh, bite sized bits it. of analysis uh, a couple three times a week. Yeah, wow, that's fantastic. A, List it all out like that. It sounds like a lot. Well, and and you have your day job at Stats Bomb, which is also a thing, <laughs> where you literally run like North American sports, don't yeah. you? <laughs> so. and, I, and I just pitched an idea for for my second book. So you know. <laughs> oh my goodness! Go <laughs> read Seth's book. Yeah. Come on, give me title, give me everything, Seth. Come oh, it's uh, the mid range theory. It came out in paperback this fall after it came out uh, hardcover before last season. Uh, the paperback includes a new uh, afterward where I talk about all the stuff I messed up. Uh, for That's the right. Twenty one, twenty two season. Um, it's the best, you know. Best. And but I, why? But why was I wrong? Is as important as as admitting I was wrong because that's when you get down to it, examining what. What what the process that led to a decision is the important bit. So trust the process. Totally. Read the book. Totally. Uh, go to The Athletic. I wrote a big breakdown of the Rui Yachimura deal. Like Seth said, we have the NBA trade deadline big board. We're going to update that as we kind of go. Uh, what else do we have? What else do we have? Uh, I don't know. I've, oh, I have midseason all-transfer team coming up for college basketball at The Athletic. Go read that. Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.